Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, Michael Kingswood coming at you again with story time. This is what, the fourth time I've talked to you in the last week? Which is awesome, because I read a couple different things last week and had my new release. Hopefully you guys all went and checked out that new anthology release, picked up copies, helped out WNG Publishing, making back the money they spent on purchasing my story and everybody else's stories who was involved with it. Because, uh, yeah, it's a good story. And the other stories are even better that are in that anthology. But anyway, uh, that's what we're here to talk about. We're here to move on with the next episode, next couple chapters of the Pericles Conspiracy. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I realized after I finished recording the last podcast that uh, I only did one chapter, but at the end I said I did two. And that's because I don't record this all in one setting. Uh, when I started this, uh, I started recording it. I read the first scene from chapter four and then took a break, came back, read the second scene from chapter four, didn't really stop to think about what I was doing or really look at what I was doing. I just recorded the ending. And I was like, hey, look at that. I hope you like those two chapters. And it wasn't two chapters. It was two scenes from one chapter. But, oh well. Hopefully you'll forgive me for that. Uh, when last we left Joe, uh, the dead guy, Malcolm, who apparently is not dead, showed up at her building. And showed up at her condo. And started talking all kinds of trash about how the government's not going to fulfill their uh, obligation. Not going to keep up the bargain that Joe made with the aliens in space. Although it really... Uh, more of a one-sided bargain. But anyway, and they're not going to send the eggs home. They're going to experiment on them instead. Joe, of course, naturally taking that seriously. How could you? The government would never do anything as duplicitous as that. And that's crazy talk. Uh, so, you know, of course, went and told Harry, uh, her boss, and we're going to get Deputy Director Chandini from the NSA on board here to let her know what's going on. Um... Uh, now, so there's no confusion moving ahead. This is not the same NSA as we have now that does signals intelligence and spies on your emails and all that other kind of crap. Uh, different different agency, although probably evolved from the NSA, but it's more all-encompassing now, as you'll see as the book goes on. Um, yeah, so we'll see what the uh, deputy director has to say. Hope you enjoy. And tan features suggesting a Central or South American origin. The Pericles Conspiracy. Written by me. Read by me. I'm not sure if I've apologized for that the last couple times or not, but I do apologize. Chapter 5. The Agency. It took several minutes for Stephen to make the connection, but finally he came back over the intercom. Deputy Director Chandini on the line for you, Mr. Jameson. Harold thanked him and tapped another part of his desk console. The display screen on his wall came to life and Joe found herself looking eye to eye with the deputy director. 
A woman in her late middle years, probably into her 90s for the look of her. She had darkly tanned skin and long hair that still showed black in a few places, beside wide streaks of silver. Seeing Harold, she smiled in greeting, but Joe noticed that her eyes were sharp as razors. Harry, to what do I owe the pleasure? Jandini asked. Harold cleared his throat and gestured towards Joe. Ms. Jandini, I believe you remember Captain Ishikawa? Of course. Good to see you again, Captain. Joe inclined her head politely, but remained silent. This was Harold's conversation to lead, and Joe hoped to have to say as little as possible. We've got a situation here that you need to know about. Last night, Captain Ishikawa received an unexpected visitor at her home, Malcolm Ngubwe. Ngubwe. Chandini said his name slowly, almost like she was tasting it. For a moment, she was motionless. Then her eyes flashed with recognition as both eyebrows rose on her forehead. Isn't he dead? Apparently not. I'm sending you a video feed from Captain Mishikawa's home security camera now. Chandini looked away from them, toward something off-screen. Her lips pursed as she saw the video, but she didn't say anything. She looked back toward them, her expression expectant. Harold cleared his throat. Apparently, he faked his death and has fallen in with some sort of conspiracy theorists. Cat Mishikawa and I are concerned he may attempt something foolish and harm himself or others. Understandable. Captain, did he give any indication as to what his plans might be? Joe shook her head. No, ma'am. But he was definitely angry over what happened after we docked Pericles. Whatever he's up to, it has something to do with that. Jandini nodded, her expression becoming grim. Her eyes flickered toward Harold. Harry, would you leave us alone for a moment? Harold looked taken aback. For that matter, Joe was surprised as well. That sort of request was unheard of. To his credit, Harold handled it well. I can, ma'am, but I do apologize, Harry, but you are not cleared to hear the questions I need to ask the captain, or her answers. Joe could tell Harold was put out by the suggestion. He looked sidelong at her, his mouth turning downward into a scowl, and she shrugged, putting what she hoped was an apologetic expression on her face. Harold sighed, and, turning his eyes back toward Chandini, he nodded, then walked out of his office. Chandini shook her head slightly, then fixed her eyes on Joe. I'm going to secure mode, Captain. Let me know when you're ready. Yes, ma'am. One moment. Joe went over to Harold's desk, a large wooden monstrosity, and found the controls. Tapping the secure broadcast button, she nodded to Chandini. Ready. Chandini moved her hand, presumably to press something off screen. The seal of the United Earth Coalition flashed on the center of the screen for a moment, then retracted to the lower left corner. The display was now ringed in a yellow line, and the words Top Secret slash Rama were written in yellow on the top and bottom of the viewable area. Joe blinked. Rama? A slight smirk crossed Chandini's face. We changed the code name recently. Someone in classification is a fan of ancient science fiction literature. The smirk faded, and Chandini's face returned to a business-like expression. Now then, what did he say to you? Over the next several minutes, Joe related the substance of Malcolm's visit the previous night. She left nothing out. It would have been foolish to do so, considering not just Chandini's power, but also her ability to apply resources to get Malcolm the help he needed. When Joe finished, Chandini's expression was troubled, almost to the point of being distressed. Son of a bitch, Chandini breathed. Joe nodded agreement. I don't know where he got such crazy notions into his head. I can only surmise that his new friends are at least partly to blame. Chandini appeared lost in her own thoughts as Joe was speaking. She only roused herself when Joe came to an end. Chandini nodded, saying, Yes, of course. He definitely needs help, that much is clear. She paused for a moment, then asked, Do you know of anyone else he may have spoken with? 
Joe started to shake her head, then stopped. I'm not sure, but he may have spoken with a reporter. Joe thought she saw alarm on Chandini's face. What makes you think that? A reporter found me a few couple months ago, asking questions about Pericles. Chandini's eyes widened and her lips compressed in anger. Why have you waited so long to inform us? Joe shrugged. He didn't know anything. It was obvious he was on a fishing expedition, and then the Hephaestus went down and it slipped my mind to tell anyone. Besides, freedom of the press is not absolute. Joe blinked in surprise. Given the constitutional protections the press received, a high public official like Chandini making an assertion like that was impolitic, to say the least. Chandini must have seen the skeptical look on Joe's face. Her lips compressed slightly, and her eyes flashed with irritation before she spoke again. A wise man in ancient America once said the Constitution is not a suicide pact. Those creatures you encountered constitute a clear and present danger not just to the safety of Earth but of every colonized world. If word of your encounter were to get out before you had a plan to deal with them... Chandini shook her head. Do you think the Hephaestus incident was a media circus? That wouldn't even compare. There would be cultural upheavals, panic, religious crises... No, the consequences of not handling this first contact correctly are too horrible to contemplate. You know this. Reluctantly, Joe nodded. She wasn't entirely convinced things would be as chaotic as Chandini seemed to think they would be, or that the creatures were as hostile as she and others assumed. But Joe had lost that argument long ago. Who is this reporter? Jeremy Reynolds from Sky News. Well, he works for an editor who has a boss. I'm sure we can get his efforts pointed in other directions. And in the future, you will inform us of inquiries like this promptly. Is that understood, Captain? Chastened, Joe nodded. Yes, ma'am. Apparently satisfied, Chandini said, going non-secure, and pressed something off screen. The yellow border around the display and the top secret banners disappeared. Tell Harry he can come back now, please. Joe went to retrieve him and returned quickly. Chandini was suitably brief. I'm informing the local office in Quito about Mr. Ngube. You should be hearing from them later today. I expect your full cooperation with their investigation. Of course, ma'am, Harold replied. Chandini inclined her head as though receiving supplication and broke the connection. Joe let out a humorless half-chuckle. She didn't even say goodbye. The agents arrived just after lunch and were ushered up to Harold's office where he and Joe awaited their arrival. There were two of them, a man and a woman. The man was a bit taller than average, with the kind of powerful-looking body that comes from many hours in the weight room and dark hair and tanned features suggesting a Central or South American origin. He was handsome, but no more so than half the men Joe walked past on the street. The woman, however, was stunning. Tall, with a slender, toned body and legs to forever, wavy dark brown hair, lightly tanned skin, and a heart-shaped face that would, and did, from what Joe could see, draw every male eye in the area. Both were dressed conservatively in dark suits that were almost cliché in their similarity. The woman took the lead, shaking hands with Joe and Harry ahead of her partner. Good afternoon, Mr. Jameson, Cat Mishikawa. I'm Special Agent Tacklin Moore. This is Special Agent Jesus Calderon. Nice to meet you both, replied Harold, and he gestured toward the chairs around his coffee table. Please have a seat. Uh, Mr. Jameson, we mostly have questions for Cat Mishikawa. If you wouldn't mind... We can just move to my office, Harry, Joe offered. I'm sure they'll want to speak with both of us once you're done, correct? Agent Moore nodded, and Harold, putting on a smile of acceptance that Joe saw right through, left his own office for the second time that day. Once the door shut, Agent Moore gestured to the chairs, and the three of them sat down around the coffee table.
Agent Calderon pulled out a tablet and a stylus and punched in a few commands. Then he nodded to Agent Moore, who looked at Joe with a half-smile. Now then, she said in a crisp, business-like tone, would you please recount your conversation with Mr. Ngubwe for the record, Captain Meshikawa? For the third time that day, she told the story. It was becoming a bit irritating having to repeat herself, especially since she had no doubt the entire conversation with Deputy Director Chandini had been recorded. But Joe was careful not to let her irritation show. If she had learned one thing over the years, it was that government types didn't like to have it pointed out when they were behaving stupidly. The two agents kept their faces neutral during the telling, and they sat still, except for Agent Calderon's note-taking. When Joe was finished, Agent Moore nodded slowly. Did he give any indications where he'd been for the last year and a half, or where he was staying? Joe shook her head. None, but I think I can guess what he's thinking about doing. Agent Moore's eyebrows lifted. Oh, what's that? Joe gave her the patented Ishikawa, what are you, an idiot, stare. He's going to find a medical research lab, convince himself it's the one doing all those dastardly things, and break in or something. You sound as though you believe him. What? Joe shook her head emphatically, irritation welling up yet again. No, I said before. He seemed unstable and probably delusional. This lady was dense, and if she was in charge, Joe didn't have much confidence that Agent Calderon was much better. It was good to know they were getting the varsity team on this case. All right. The two agents shared a look, then Agent Moore said to Joe, I think we can have Mr. Jameson rejoin us now. Once Harold returned and had joined them around the coffee table, Agent Moore spoke again. These sorts of investigations are always difficult. Finding one person, particularly a person as intelligent and resourceful as Mr. Ngubwe, is hard enough when he doesn't believe anyone is looking for him. But after last night, he must assume that you came to the authorities and has begun taking precautions. That made sense. Malcolm had always been clever. And the fact that he had managed to convince the entire world he was dead for more than a year spoke to how well he had transferred his skills to the underworld. So what would you like me to do? For now, nothing. Continue to go about your normal routine. We may occasionally stake out your house overnight, and with your permission we'll place a tap on your communication lines. What? Why? It's unlikely, but he may try to contact you again. If he does, we need to be able to track him. We can get a warrant if you prefer, but that will take more time. Also, since he's likely been living in the underworld since he disappeared, he may have contacts who can hack into the court records. If there's no record of a warrant, there's nothing to tip him off. Joe and Harold shared a look. He looked uncertain about this line of discussion. For that matter, so did Joe. There were constitutional restrictions on wiretapping for a reason. At the same time, Agent Moore's point about hackers was a good one, and it's not like Joe had anything to hide. After a moment's thought, she nodded. Okay, go ahead. We're on a list of what you install and where, and you'll have it. The rest of the conversation was more nuts and bolts and boilerplate. She was to report if she had any further contact with Malcolm, as she expected. There was a brief discussion about possibly asking her to wear a wire at some point, but Harold objected to that, and Agent Moore tabled the topic for a later date. Finally, after about an hour, the two agents stood and, promising to stay in touch, shook hands with them and left. As the door closed behind them, Joe quipped, Well, I feel safer already. Harold looked sidelong at her as though he was wondering if she was being serious. She returned his look with a smirk, and he chuckled. Chapter 6 Editorial Demands Jeremy exhaled in consternation as he stepped through the doors to Star News' headquarters. Another dead end. He spent the last week tracking down Sven Godenberg, 
one of Pericles' two fourth-shift pilots, eventually tracking him to McAllister branch office in Stockholm. Godenberg had been as much a stone as the others to this point. Jeremy had never seen a group so unwilling to talk. But that couldn't last forever. He figured to try Carlton and Allison Hirsch next, in Boston. But he received an unexpected call from Lou Greenfield, his managing editor, telling him to get back to New York pronto. So Jeremy dropped everything and took the red eye from Stockholm, just landing in Kennedy Airport this morning. Jeremy hated long flights. His equilibrium was all off, his internal clock shot to hell. It was not going to be a fun day. Lou's office was in the back corner of the press room, past dozens of cubicles and a hundred or more people who were hard at work, scrambling around in seeming chaos. Jeremy nearly knocked a young intern over as they both rounded a cubicle, and he jumped out of the way with an apology, earning a shy grin in response. The girl walked off, and Jeremy paused for a moment, admiring the sway of her hips and the way her slacks showed off her shapely, firm backside. Maybe being summoned back to headquarters wasn't so bad after all. His reverie was broken by Lou's gravelly voice. Stop ogling the interns and get in here, Reynolds. Jeremy gave a start and smiled ruefully, but paused before he turned fully as the intern looked over her shoulder and gave him a much bigger, warmer smile. He saw her fingers move, then a block of text appeared in his vision. Supplied through the database implant, her name, Kelsey, appeared next to her head and below that her voice, mail, and homepage contact data. She mouthed, Call me and then went back about her business. Jeremy's smile as he entered Lou's office was genuinely cheerful. Hey Lou, what's up? Shut the door and have a seat. Uh-oh. Lou hardly ever shut his office door, unless he was getting ready to chew some ass. Jeremy thought hard as he sat down, but he couldn't come up with anything he'd screwed up lately. He didn't have long to remain puzzled, though. Lou came around his desk and sat on the edge, facing Jeremy. Just from looking at him, you could tell Lou was an old-time newsman. He had the look down pat, the wrinkled collared shirt with the ugly tie hanging loosely from its neck, the dark pants that were held up by suspenders, a deeply receding hairline, and even a bushy mustache that was more gray than brown, plus piercing green eyes that fed straight into a finely tuned bullshit detector. Right now, they glimmered in a manner that made Jeremy want to squirm in his seat. You've been burning through a lot of travel money the last few weeks. Jeremy opened his mouth to speak. Those expenses had all been approved, but Lou beat him to it, continuing as he raised a calming hand. I don't necessarily have a problem with that, especially if this thing you're working on ends up being as good as the Grinmore corruption piece. Trust me, Lou, it's big. Huge. I'm talking Pulitzer Prize big. Yeah, yeah, great. What is it? Jeremy hesitated. I'm still working that out, but there's a major cover-up going on. I'd rather not say anything else until I have it more wrapped up. <laughs> How many sources do you have? Just one. Anonymous. Lou threw up his hands. Then you don't really have anything, do you? Shaking his head, Lou stood and walked back behind his desk. Sorry, kid, but I'm pulling you off this... whatever it is you're working on. Got something else for you. Jeremy ground his teeth. He hated when Lou called him kid. Almost as much as he hated having his toes stepped on. Be reasonable, Lou. I've been more than reasonable. You've blown through how many thousands of credits chasing this thing, and you've got one anonymous source? There's nothing there, Jeremy, so drop it. But, no buts about it. Here's what I want you working on. Lou tapped his desk controls, and the display on the wall lit up with the image of an older man, married from the ring on his finger, 
with his arm draped over the shoulder of a very young and very buxom blonde. She distinctly was not wearing a wedding ring. You're pulling me off the biggest story of the year to investigate some schmuck who's cheating on his wife? Lou grunted. He's not just any schmuck. He's Vladimir Zukov, the head of the Securities and Exchange Commission, and she supposedly has strong mob connections. Great. Jeremy stood up, his irritation growing by the second. This is bullshit, Lou, and you know it. Sorry you feel that way, but that's how it is. Go get to it. Jeremy slammed the door behind him as he stormed out of the office. Lou watched the door slam shut and sat back in his chair, frowning. Jeremy was right. This was bullshit. But there wasn't a whole lot he could do about it. Orders were orders. Sighing, he turned to his desk controls and tapped in the command to call his boss, Julian Devereaux, the owner and publisher of Star News. It took a minute to get through Julian's secretary, but soon enough his image appeared on the small display screen in Lou's desk. Is it done? Lou nodded. Julian sighed and leaned back in his chair, rubbing at his temples with his fingertips. How did he take it? How do you think he took it? He's pissed off, and I don't blame him. What the hell's going on here, Julian? You're just going to have to trust me on this one, Lou. He's about to ruffle some feathers, and I need you to hold him back for a little while until I can work things out. What the hell did that mean? Lou had been in the news business for over 40 years, and had worked with Julian for 20. He had never seen Julian back down from a story before, not for anything or anyone. The fact that he was doing so now was unsettling, to say the least. Jesus, Julian, what the hell kind of feathers are we talking about here? Just trust me, will you, Lou? He both looked and sounded stressed out. Something was seriously wrong, but Lou could tell he wasn't going to say anything more. Okay, Julian. I hope you can work it out soon, though. It's going to be hard to keep him reined in for long. Julian nodded. I know. That's why we love him. Do your best. The display went blank, and Lou leaned back in his chair. He clasped his hands behind his head, and his thoughts raced. For the life of him, he couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. Jeremy lay awake long into the night, staring up at the ceiling of his tiny bedroom as his thoughts wandered. Normally, he would have been asleep by now, especially after the workout Kelsey gave him. He glanced to his left, where she was already asleep, nuzzled up to him with the contented smile on her face, and couldn't help but smiling faintly to himself. But the smile didn't last, as even having a hot, nubile young intern in his bed didn't ease the consternation Jeremy felt over his reassignment. Jeremy muttered, Fucking Lou, but must have done so more loudly than he thought, because Kelsey stirred and opened her eyes. She looked up at him sleepily and leaned over to kiss him, lightly. You okay, handsome? she asked, and he shrugged. Yeah, fine. Kelsey frowned, and Jeremy knew his annoyance was sowing. Sighing, he spoke again. It's just Lou. Pisses me off, that's all. Well, you're the best investigator he's got, right? Jeremy nodded. So maybe he thinks this is really important, too important for anyone but his best. I'd be flattered if I were you. She wasn't serious, was she? But from the earnest expression on her face, Jeremy could tell she was. Ah, to be a naive intern again. He smiled and kissed her on the cheek. In spite of himself, he felt a little bit better from her trite attempt to encourage him. Thanks, Kelsey, he said. That actually makes me feel a little bit better. She beamed, then gasped softly. I just thought of something. I could help you with the story. Jeremy shook his head. No. Why not? Because you're an intern. Interns do paperwork around the office. They don't come out on tricky investigations. 
Kelsey's smile faded, replaced by a scowl. Without warning, she threw the covers off and got out of bed. Jeremy, perplexed, wasn't going to complain about the view as she bent over to snatch up her undergarments. Moving in the abrupt manner that broadcasts that a woman is furious, she donned her panties and jeans. You're an asshole, Jeremy Reynolds. The sway of her breast as she bent over to pick up her bra and shirt took some of the sting out of those words, but not much. What the hell was going on here? Quickly fastening her bra, Kelsey pulled her shirt over her head and stomped into her boots. I let you fuck me. The least you could do is let me in on your story. Jeremy, shocked, watched in silence as she snapped up her coat and stormed out of his bedroom. A moment later, he heard his front door slam. He shook his head, then burst out laughing. That was the most ridiculous thing he had ever seen. Boo's antics forgotten, at least for the moment. Jeremy slumped back into his pillow. He fell asleep to the sound of his own guffaws. Well, good old Jeremy, uh, might want to be a little careful next time he comes back in the press room. She might lop his head off. Holy smokes. Man, talk about quid pro quo. And she didn't think that one through very well, I guess. Or maybe he didn't. Uh, <laughs> it's now wide open for all kinds of uh, complaints and actions. Uh, but whatever, it's the future. They're in a more enlightened age. Pow for Sankey Panky's no big deal, right? Yeah, what? sure it won't be an issue. But hey, um... Well, Chandini was able to hook that up pretty quick, right? Ah, well, yeah, we'll get him off the case pretty quick, and yeah, that, that seemed to work. So, uh, <laughs> well, definitely pulling on some levers of power there, but uh, I don't know, what do you think? What do you think about uh, Chandini's reaction, the agents? What do you think about Jeremy? you think he's really going to lay off? I don't know. Well, I do know, because I wrote the whole thing. And I already know what happened. I already know what happened. And if you want to know, you have to come back next week and listen to this episode. Or you can just go buy the book. Go to com slash ebook dash store and you can get to a place where you can buy all the ebooks straight from me. Also, there's a print store on com where you can get the print book too. Yeah, of course, you can go to Amazon and all those guys if you really want to have me make less money. But, hey, you get the book and be able to read it sooner than I'll be able to finish reading it. Because it's probably going to take me <laughs> several months here still. Um, but that's up to you. Um, but definitely do please uh, tell everybody what's going on here. Like, subscribe, leave comments, reviews. And, you know, come by, sign up for the mailing list. You can get uh, advisement... <laughs> advice so you can be advised when i have new releases coming out and i haven't had a new release in a while but i've that's because last year was with the whole legal stuff with the split up and a whole bunch of other chicanery going on i was pretty much at no productivity but that's changed i'm actually i'm not at anywhere near warp speed but i am regularly cranking and getting words down and slowly beginning speed, getting back into the swing of things now that everything's resolved and the house is sold and all that stuff. So I'm going to be having uh, quite a few uh, new releases this year. In fact, I've got a backlog of what 20 
almost 20 shorter stories that I haven't uh, put out there because I've been shopping around all the various short story markets. But some of the older ones, it's been two years on the various markets, not getting anywhere with them, and I'm like, all right, enough, enough of this, time to put them out. And I'm going to be done with my Space Navy, first Space Navy book year uh, in the next um, month or two, probably two, or maybe three. I'm, you know, 60 some thousand words into it, and I don't even know that I'm halfway through. This might have to be a longer. It's probably going to end up being longer than Pericles' Conspiracy, um, which is good. But, you know, it's all good. Um, anyway, so between that and I'm going to write the sixth Glimmer Veil book this year, and then I'm going to get on to the second uh, Iker and Confederation Navy book, as well as do some short stories. Um, but we'll be having new releases. Uh, not necessarily a new release, but check this out. I had my... Comp- Omnibus compilation of the first three Glimmer Veil books. And one of the things I did with my proceeds from my house sale is I replenished my stock of ISBNs. If you don't know what ISBN is, it's the tracking numbers for books. You don't really need them for ebooks, but for print books, if you want to distribute them to various uh, bookstores, excuse me, bookstores all over the country and everywhere, uh, you need them. And so I had this uh, three book box set of Glimmer Veil, and I was like, hey, self, why don't you make a print version of it? And it turns out it comes in under the uh, page limit, and I made a print version. And this is, I uh, did it through Ingram Spark and through KDP, uh, which is the Kindle publishing thing. But turns out I can't actually do, even though I was able to get a proof copy from the Kindle, <laughs> uh, from the Amazon thing, I can't, they won't actually let me do put the print version of this on sale because it says it's a bundle of books. And like, oh, you have to remove any reference that it might be a bundle of books, not just one book from the cover. And it's like, well, screw you guys. I'm just fine. I'm just doing it all through Ingram. I'll leave the extra little bit of profit I could have had from going straight through you. So the, so you can actually get this. And look at this. Nice and thick. It's cool. It looks good. Anyway, um... So we're doing some more stuff like that. And I like all those ISBNs and probably maybe do some uh, hardbacks and a bunch of other good stuff because I got 100 of them, <laughs> hundred of these numbers now. Um, yeah, it's not cheap. Getting those 100 ISBNs was 575 bucks. I had 10 of my very own earlier that I got for 200 bucks. So you can see how you can get more. It costs less per number, even though it costs more. You can get 1,000. ISBNs for like, I was it like seven fifty or something like that. Um, so, but still, that's more than I wanted to spend. It wasn't. Uh, I forget exactly how much a thousand is, but I'll need a thousand. I got thirty four titles out there right now. Another, <laughs> if I put everything that's on the back burner out, and it's you know plan to get done in the next uh, year out in print, that's another twenty five or so. Um, yeah, I, I don't need thousands. Hundred was good for now. Anyway, so we're putting out a whole bunch more, more stuff over, starting very shortly. Uh, so if you want to know that, <coughs> obviously I'll tell it here on the podcast and the in the videos and on the website. <laughs> Though I'm really bad at updating my website sometimes. Um, but go to the mailing list, and I will also give uh, earlier notice to the mailing list people, as well as give as well as give some. Uh, uh, 
special deals for those folks. If you really want to make me happy, go by my website, microkingswood.com uh, slash supporting patronage and become a member of the site. Uh, throw, a couple, throw a buck or two at me a month to keep up as an incentive to keep the podcasts and videos going. And I also have little things where as you give more, but much you don't have to go to the other stores. You just get all my stuff as I put them out, depending on how much you get, depending on how much you give, depend, uh, determines how much you get. Anyway, it's my version of Patreon without having to deal with Patreon. As I've, I've talked about them before. Anyway, I've gabbed enough. I'm going to let you go. Uh, talk to you next week. Please do come back. Uh, and definitely drop me a line. Let me know what you think of the story so far and of the podcast. Um, but yeah, have a good week. Talk to you next time. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com, where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>